When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From NJ.com and the Star Ledger, welcome to the Rutgers Rant, your one-stop podcast for the Scarlet Knights, with your hosts, Steve Politti and Rutgers insiders Brian Fonseca and James Cratch. Let's start shopping. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Rant. Steve Politti here. Joined by James Kratz, Brian Fonseca. We have an NCAA tournament game to recap. Didn't last long. Scarlet Knights out in Dayton, out in the first round, out in an epic game. Uh, Fonseca and I were courtside. I've covered a lot of NCAA tournaments. Uh, I've covered a lot of college basketball games. I can't remember one that was quite as uh, filled with just crazy moments. I mean, just a lot of fun, up and down, high scoring, and, and I think you'll agree with this, Fonseca. If that team was going to lose, if that generation of players was going to go out, it had to be something like this. It had to be something epic, uh, uh, remarkable 89-87 loss to Notre Dame. You've had you know a few days now to digest it. I mean, when you're looking back on it, what's, what's the biggest thing that sticks out? I agree. It was pretty poetic the way they went out, fighting, clawing, epic, this wild game. Uh, I remember like – when Ron Harper hits that bank three to tie the game in double overtime, I'm grabbing your arm. It's just like you get swept up in this emotion. It's insane. And I think Gio didn't have enough time to toss up that half-court shot uh, before the buzzer. But, I mean, how fitting would it be if he does throw that up and it goes in and caps off the craziest game? I think that would have had an argument as the craziest game in NCAA tournament history if that happened. Obviously, it didn't. Uh, Rutgers fell because of a basket that happened the way that killed them all game, which yep. was also fitting. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to really wrap it all together. Uh, Geo Baker could have added another, the most epic game-winning shot of his career filled with them if he hit that last-second shot in regulation. The fact Brookers was in, in that position was very impressive because of Geo. Uh, just so many ways to go. But, I mean, ultimately, the way Rutgers lost was what – not the way we expected going in. I expected Notre Dame to just hit a barrage of threes. That was the only way I thought Notre Dame could win. They end up just dominating Rutgers inside. Uh, their center, who's uh, Paul Atkinson, he was just getting whatever he wanted, just easy buckets. Their guards were just blowing by Rutgers on the perimeter on the way to the hoop, just the complete opposite of what you expected. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a brutal way for a season to end. I think people would rather see that, obviously, than, you know, a 30-point blowout. Uh, it, but, again, I agree with you. Very fitting way. That was the first NCAA tournament game I ever covered. I don't think I will ever cover a game as crazy as that in March Madness for the rest of my career. Uh, hopefully I will. Maybe I won't. But, uh, yeah, just wild, wacky way to, to end a very wild and wacky season. Cratch, I was thinking about this, too. And you jump in here on this, on this thought. If, if, if I were to tell you before that game that you were going to get a vintage Ron Harper performance, number one, you were getting pretty close to a vintage Geo Baker performance, number two, and then you were going to get the single greatest game of Caleb McConnell's life where he hits, I think, with 9 of 10 or 9 of 11 shots, 23 points, double-double rebounds, and they lost. <laughs> when you, I mean, how did they lose that game? And it's just, it's just defense and one bad inbounds play. Uh, that's all it took. I mean, that, it's just amazing. 
It is. I mean, not to get too negative, it's obviously at, at this point, like, you know, go double overtime at, in the NCAA tournament against a good team after a great, you know, end of the regular season, even get to the tournament. But it was just the little things like the inbounds play, the there clearly was some sort of confusion about the call to who was calling timeout, what they were doing on the last play of the game. Uh, right. That You know, I don't know if they call timeout. Like I, I was at, in my hotel in Detroit, Gary for wrestling, watching the game, so I wasn't completely engrossed with, like, would that have moved the ball to half court? Like, I, I don't know. I don't think it would have, that, you know, Ryan's shaking no. So, you know, that is just little things that we've seen over the years. You know, there's been some – Curious timeout usage or lack thereof. I go back to the the crazy shot with Iowa where they didn't call timeout to guard the inbounder. Um, you know, I, I think you know Cliff the missed dunk. I gotta be honest, like when Cliff missed the dunk, I had a flashback immediately to Miles against Houston. Yep. Like, yep, kind of you knew. So I thought it was a great microcosm of everything about this team. You know, the guys they stepped up. You know, but as you said, the, the defense lacking in some areas, and those little fine details that kill you in March kind of came back to bite them in the end. Is it too harsh to say that Steve Pike was out coached? I mean, Mike Bray had this game plan. You're right. I mean, if we talked about it, three pointers, three pointers. And then they just hit 25 layups, and Rutgers never recovered. And I don't know, again, it's a terrible matchup up front for Rutgers. I understand that. Cliff uh, is chasing around a smaller guy. Could they have flashed some zone in there for a couple of possessions? Could they have done something uh, to slow him down? And especially when you knew it was coming. I, I mean, as soon as uh, you know, got to the point where we were we one possession, Notre Dame had the ball. You know they're going to take the last shot in double overtime. You knew it was going to go inside. And it still was, you know, it was still right down there. I mean, easy shot. I, I just wonder if there could have been something they could have done, Brian. What do you think? I always hesitate to say when somebody's outcoached or not because there's so many nuances to these things that it's right. – I, I, I don't know what the game plan was. I don't know – you know, I didn't watch every tape of Notre Dame like Steve Peichel probably did. It's hard to say. I do th- – I think Mike Bray was very smart in the way he approached the game and kind of, I'm assuming Rutgers saw the same numbers I did, the same video I did and saw that Notre Dame really scores most of their baskets from outside and they decided to hammer it inside. They must have seen some form of defensive uh, issues defending the rim from Cliff Omori, uh, whether that's him not wanting to be too aggressive around the rim and get fouled or whatever it may be. I think you're right. Maybe them pulling him towards the perimeter was hard, was a difficult thing for him to do because he seemed to lose himself a lot on pick and roll action. Paul Atkinson was getting to the rim easily on, yeah. on, you know, just simple actions. And then, I mean, it's, it's very, one of the most surprising things to me was like how, how easily some of the Notre Dame guards were just blowing by Rutgers on the perimeter. I mean, yeah. like Ron Harper, it, especially was having a rough night up there, keeping and, guys and, and detained. Yep. And Paul Mulcahy too, just like, yeah. it's, it's hard to see, I mean, Rutgers doesn't play in a very athletic conference. The Big Ten is good, but it's not athletic. That's not something you'd say. And I, I, I wouldn't say Notre Dame is a team I think as you know absolutely athletic or anything like that. And they were just blowing by dudes and getting to the rim with ease. And because you know Cliff is chasing around Paul Atkins around the perimeter, he wasn't there to block shots. Right. Um, I agree that Caleb McConnell had his best game offensively of his career by far. I don't think he was particularly great defensively. Like I think the Rutgers had a very not great. Uh, maybe even bad defensive performance against Notre Dame. And I thought they were pretty, pretty good offensively. So uh, yeah, I mean, when those lists of things that you mentioned before that happened, then they'd still didn't win. It's, it's insane, but uh, yeah, that's the reality. Yeah. And, all right, to set the scene, Grant, you weren't there, but the, the you know, they have the, the post game press conference and they bring these three guys in and, 
It, it was, and I, you know, every time a senior laden, laden team loses, I get it. The press conference is, is sad, but it was so, it was so depressing that I swear when I tell you the moderator at the end of this, I thought someone was going to have to hug him. I mean, he, he at the end of it, he's like, he looks over at the three of them and it's just like, just thank you for all you've accomplished. I mean, like the, the mod, like the guy who says, the guy who makes sure you don't bring a, a bottle of water up there that's without the right logo and tell it makes sure she calls them student athletes. That guy was so rocked emotionally. Uh, I think it just speaks to what this team has met, what these three guys together have been, you know, uh, it, I guess this is my question to you. When they put this team into perspective of Rutgers history, how do you think we're going to remember this group? We're going to remember this group as the group that turned the program around. I think what you tweeted or wrote, I, they're going to be remembered as the 06 football team is. You know, all of those guys, obviously Ron and Gio are the equivalent of, you know, Ray Rice and Leonard and Teal rolled up, but all those guys are going to be remembered for something, you know, I know. I think some of those guys are going to develop the, their legacies, you know, a guy like Mulcahy, you know, what he does, you know, Cliff, but like they're remembered as that in that team that changed everything. They're going to be remembered as a team for which every upcoming group is going to be compared to. And I think this is a big moment for Rutgers, a school that has traditionally not celebrated its greatness very well. I think this is a group that they have to celebrate. I've written it before. I will say it again. I know what the rules are. Geo Baker's number should be retired. He is the the transformative player. Um, Ron will be remembered as a better basketball player in all likelihood. Ron will probably, I think, go on to have a 10 to 15 year NBA career that Gio won't necessarily have. But I think, you know, Caleb is a guy who, you know, I think all three of them are Rutgers Hall of Famers. I know, you know, there's criteria to think, but whatever the criteria is, they need to bend it because this is a transformative group that changed everything for Rutgers as a basketball program. And it's interesting, the 06 comparison comes up a lot. And that success was sustained in the short term. It was never really built upon in the short term football wise. And then, of course, we know what happened in, in the recent years where it dropped off a cliff in, when Shiano uh, departed. I guess when we're looking forward now, you know, for this to really be that transformative moment, teams still got to be pretty good, right? I mean, I, and I guess I wonder, you know, <laughs> the thing that stuck out for me on that box score, we talked about it a lot, uh, the, that in back-to-back games, they had zero bench points. Um, you're losing three guys from that team. You're, you're looking, okay, Cliff is a built, certainly a Big Ten starter. Paul, certainly a Big Ten starter. You've got a lot of question marks about this team going forward. Does it change the calculus if this team falls back immediately? I think it does, but I think the, the thing that they have going for them is I would argue there is more room for growth with a basketball program that has accomplished what they have than football was. I mean, look, 06 football team went 10-2, and 11-2 counting the bowl game, with the exception of winning the Big East title and going to the Orange Bowl or wherever they've gone to. They may have hit the ceiling of Rutgers football. Even today, in 2022, I would argue, I don't, if Rutgers is going to, the ceiling still right now might be 10 and 2 going to a New Year's Six Bowl game. And that 10 and 2 might not be good enough in the year it happens to win the Big Ten. Whereas basketball, for everything they've accomplished, they still haven't won the Big Ten. 
They mm-hmm. still haven't been to the Sweet 16. They still haven't been to the Elite Eight. So that's the thing. Like, in a way, if Peichel can keep things going, a year or two or three from now, they might break through and get to the Sweet 16. And it's going to feel like they've built on it. And then there's another level. That's the one thing that basketball has going for. You can make massive achievements without getting to the Final Four and without winning a national title. All right, Fonseca, let's take that the, the short-term thing with this team. Uh, the additional news that uh, Jalen Jones uh, committed uh, – declare for the NBA draft. I guess apparently anyone can just do that because uh, that uh, that seems a little on the strange side to me, but God bless. He didn't, his, his statement made it seem like he wasn't coming back to Rutgers. Uh, that's just another, that's another guy you're counting on. Let's see if he can step in and become that, you know, scorer off the potential starter for that team. He's gone now too. Uh, I guess, what are we looking at next year? I mean, what, where are the biggest holes and, and is there, is there hope that this transition won't be as rocky as it might look like right now? Well, in regards to Jane Jones, I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen with that situation, to be honest with you. Uh, I think we all know what's, he's probably not going to be drafted. I think it's fair to assume. Uh, what he does afterwards is interesting. Will he pursue a professional career? He hasn't signed with an agent yet, so his eligibility is still there. Will he come back to Rutgers? I hear it's not impossible i hear he could still come back will he want to transfer somewhere else i don't know that is a situation that i mean we'll figure out a lot more about it in a month's time right i mean some people are more confident about what he could do than others me personally i don't expect him to be on a g league roster next year right uh as far as the rest of the team if you want to look at it from a half glass full perspective you could say look at all the development that steve peichel and the staff has done in their six years here They've taken kids that no one really expected to become anything. Obviously, there's the Joe Baker, Ron Harper, Caleb McConnells, but there's even Dean Reber, a kid who you start the season and you think that's your backup five, and he ends up you know, having some really impressive performances and giving some hope there. Uh, so you can look at it glass half full and say that guys like Moat Mag, Andre Hyatt, Jalen Miller could take big jumps this offseason and you know, become 15- to 20-minute guys. They do need to hit the portal. If the departures that we expect from Ron Harper and Caleb McConnell end up happening, there's going to be a lot of minutes, a lot of shots, a lot of time to give out in the portal. And it's just a matter of finding guys who will fit and want to come here and fill those roles while you know buying into the team aspect. There's going to be thousands of kids in the portal. I'm sure the options are going to be there. Uh, what they want to do, the, the, the one situation I find interesting is the center spot, which you still have Cliff, assuming he comes back, you still have you know, a starting Big Ten center, a 25 to 30 minute guy, and you need some backup there because Dean Reber He's probably more of a four, all right? You, you play him at a five because you have to. He's probably more of a four, if we're being honest, right? So Neil Quinn, for example, the kid from Lafayette, he's a target there. If you convince him to come here, how is that going to break down? Is he going to be the backup to Cliff? Do you move Cliff to the four and play him at the five, play them at the same time? There's a lot of interesting dynamics there they can work. Um, and then obviously if Paul McKay comes back, you have a Big Ten caliber point guard who at his best is one of the best big – you know, best point cards in the Big Ten, and his worst is is not. So, can you manage to get more consistency out of him? Long winded way of saying that I don't know. the The, the off season is going to be fascinating just to see how they manage to construct the rest of this roster. Uh, and then you even have I'm forgetting about Derek Simpson, a freshman guard who I watched a couple times this year. I'm very intrigued about his offensive upside. 
Uh, his defense was not very impressive to me, frankly, the couple times I saw him, but that's probably a combination of playing high school basketball and not being in the system. I would trust Steve Peichel to, you know, bring some defense out of him. But his offensive upside is his shot-making ability, his ability with the ball in his hands to find teammates. Very intriguing to me. I think he has a very high ceiling. So I'm interested to see how much time he could put in as a freshman. Uh, we'll know more about this, obviously, as the summer unrolls and uh, the, the roster fills out. I wouldn't hit the doomsday scenario just yet. I do think this roster, this team has potential to be good next year. And, you know, I wouldn't say it's the tournament, but we'll know in a month or two. We'll know in a month or two. All right. Well, Rutgers fans will have to wait and see. In the meantime, I'm going to put you to the spot in true or false. Let's get this. Let's start right where we, where you think we're going to start for this one. Um, true or false. Rutgers will return to the NCAA tournament in 2023. Fonseca, true or false? False. Cratch? False. Yeah, I'm going false as well there. But right now, I just can't see it. Uh, true or false, Rutgers will make the NIT in 2023. Fonseca, true or false? False. Oh, boy. Cratch, true or false? False. <laughs> so, true or false, forget the postseason. Rutgers will slide back to the bottom or near the bottom of the Big Ten in 2023. Fonseca, is that where you're going? I'll say bottom half, true. Bottom half? True. Okay. Cratch. I will say soft middle. Just be, soft I, the only middle. reason why I say false for NIT is it's kind of hard to make the NIT these days. Yeah, it's got it's gotten a little tr- trickier. You're absolutely right. Okay, false middle. All right. Yeah. I mean, I I I'm gonna give him uh, I'm gonna give him the benefit of the uh, the doubt on the NIT there. But yeah, it's it seems like uh, it, it's gonna be an uphill battle. All right. True or false? The Big Ten is vastly overrated. And the NCAA tournament is proof. Fonseca, true or false? False. Oh, boy. Can we hear this one? Cratch. True or false? False. Wow. All right. I mean, come on. True. It's, we'll talk about that. Uh, speaking of the Big Ten, true or false? St. Peter's can beat Purdue. Fonseca, true or false? Sorry to be a party pooper, but false. <laughs> Cratch? I would also be surprised if that happens. False. <laughs> 12 and a half point underdogs, but why the hell not? True. I think they can win. I don't know how, but they, 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 they've already proved they beat Kentucky. True or false, Kevin Willard is going to win big at Maryland. Fonseca, true or false? It's a loaded question. I'll say true. True. Okay. Cratch. True or false? False. False. Yeah. Big, fat, false for me. And finally, true or false, Shaheen Holloway, the current St. Peter's coach, will be an upgrade. At Seton Hall. Fonseca, true or false? Uh, true, I guess. <laughs> Cratch? Uh, I'm going to say false. Yeah, all right. I'm going to say true. And Cratch, I know you want to, I know you want to rant about this. I and mean, this is not a, this is not a Seton Hall podcast, uh, um, but it is of relevance to Rutgers fans. What's going to happen with that program? It seems that they are going to hire Shaheen Holloway uh, off of, a you know one good month i guess pretty much although certainly he has recruited well he's built the program in a very tough place to win uh in jersey city and has done a really good job coaching it up this uh certainly this month why do you think you're not you're not so high you're not so uh sold in the idea that she just run over to jersey city and bring bring him home yeah, I just – I'm kind of baffled. Look, I get everything. I get that Shaheen Holloway has had a brilliant month. I get that he would have probably – it seems like he would have been the Seton Hall coach had St. Pete 
St. Peter's done what it was supposed to do, which is go out there and give Kentucky a fight for 20 to 30 minutes and then, you know, politely lose by 16 points or whatever it is. I get everything. He played there, recruiting, program building, done a tremendous job. That being said, I just find it a little bit strange that Kevin Willard, a guy who had a decent amount of success at Seton Hall, is leaving, and it's not even a conversation. It's it's it just seems a little bit, and not that anything like really grosses me out in college sports, but this is a little weird that Kevin Willard had this complete no show against TCU, and it basically says, "I'm out of here." Shaheen should get the job while Shaheen's team is playing in the NCAA tournament. Uh, and then everyone's just acting bad. like this yeah. is a this is a done deal. Like, like you're basically telling like St. Peter's, you guys are the best, Cinderella's forever, but your coach is gone. I mean, he's not even he, he's not even gonna take the bus back to Philadelphia with you guys, <laughs> you know? It's just very strange to me. And what I keep on coming back to is not only that, but for Seton Holders have no search, not even pretend to have a coaching search. When Rick Patino is in New Rochelle. No, and like, here's the thing. Paul needs to build a practice facility, okay? Who do you think would have the practice facility built the next day? Yeah, well. Seton Hall is paying $2.5 million to, and that's all part of the issue too, but like, Seton Hall is paying $2.5 million to Sheen Holloway, because that's what Willard is making. Willard's now making four. Other Big East schools are paying four. You know, facilities, I, I just, I just like, I totally get it. If you go through a little bit of a search and hire Shaheen, no problem with that. This seems strange to me to hand the job to the guy without all the connections, and I just don't know if that's the best way to run a Big East basketball program that has had some success on a national level in the past few years. The last thing I'll say is the world is full of mid-major coaches who get on great runs, immediately get hired to better jobs, and it doesn't work out. Well, it does work out sometimes. Look at Peichel. You're right. It, it doesn't work out a lot of the time. And I think Correct. a lot. I think that obviously there's a better chance than not that this is going to be a good hire for Seton Hall, and it certainly could be an upgrade. I just think – it's a little strange that you just don't even have a conversation, it seems, before making right. this move. But if you're gonna call if you're gonna call Rick Bettino, you're not gonna, hey, let's just interview this upstart guy. I mean, you're gonna hire Rick Bettino. Did they even call him? Did they even call him? But why would you call him if you're not going to hire him? You know what he is. I mean, it's not like. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, to me, like, if I were seen Hall, I would have called him. I would have hired him. You would have hired him. Yeah, of course I would have. Fonseca, tiebreaker. Rick Bettino is hired at (laughs) Seton Hall, the, the facility will be. The money will be there within a month. There will be banners in the gym. Now, I can't guarantee guarantee they're going to stay up forever, (laughs) but they're going to be there. All right. Fonseca, break the tie. Ask the people in Louisville if they care that that banner isn't up anymore. Ask them if they, they, the memories are still there. If the greatest college basketball coach in the history of the sport, what? You don't think Rick Pitino is the greatest coach in the history of the sport? No, I don't think Rick Pitino is the greatest coach in the history of the sport. Wouldn't it that? Wait, wait, wait. You can't just drop that in there. I mean, what the, what the hell are you talking about? The greatest coach Who, in the history who's of better? the sport? Who's better? John Wooden when there were eight teams in the tournament and he had all seven How about Mike players? Krzyzewski? He's got 1,200 wins. He's got He's been coaching for sports. 70 years. <laughs> so has Rick Pitino. You think he woke up yesterday? He's been coaching since Okay, Rick okay. Won national championships in multiple places. Oh, all right, anyway. Gosh. All right, no, no, no. Time out, time out. I got to interject here, okay? This is what I would say. I think it's actually a fascinating conversation. We're, we're about to go really off the rails here. Is that too late. on one hand, I would argue that Woody's right, Shashevsky, John Wooden, Bob Knight, those are the greatest coaches in the history of college basketball. That being said, if I was an AD, 
I would hire Rick Pitino over all of them at the moment. Over all at and the moment. Well, that, yes. I would also argue if this if we go back 15, 20 years, I would have said Larry Brown would be the guy I hire. Larry Brown oh and Rick Pitino win everywhere. No matter get, what it is, we could give them a team of JV kids somewhere in Wyoming, and they would right. win the championship of that. Yeah, high except, except the Boston Celtics and the New York Knicks are the two the two exceptions to that rule. But I, I hear what you're saying. Yes. What conference right. do those teams play in, Steve? Big Ten? I understand. Yeah, they, they well, <laughs> they, they could this year. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, that's a fascinating discussion. But so you would you would make you would call Rick Pitino. All right. So I would hire I would hire Rick Pitino tomorrow so I can win the Big East, make a Final Four run. You know. And look, okay. if we can stop pretending us, like certainly. if we can stop pretending there's ethics in college sports for that's once true. and just try to win like everyone else is trying to do. You know, whatever. Hire the guy. Yeah. Okay. Also, I think Shaheen always a uh, uh, good hire. I would think oh, I- if they do it, great hire. I don't think I think it's I think it'll probably end up working out just fine in the end. I just think it's a little bit of a gamble to not even like have it like because it just sometimes it doesn't work. I mean, I know you're gonna give me crap for saying this, but like I remember when South Carolina, the Ray Tanner baseball coach, back to back, you know, three straight College World Series finals, two national titles, becomes the AD. His top assistant, they literally they had no search. Ray got announced as the AD on Friday. They had a press conference introduced Chad Holbrook as the new baseball coach on uh, Monday. Program Talk about in the weeds collapsed. here. Holy crap. The co- collapsed. Collapsed. What a travesty. Missed, South missed Carolina baseball. And up firing the guy. They went from the College World Series and not even making it to the regional. Disgraceful. Exactly. Yes. So, like, some, yes. it doesn't always work that way. Last thing before we go. Uh, I think Willard will do fine at Maryland. I, I don't understand the hire, but Maryland is not – like, they don't have a practice facility. And if Maryland – like, They don't? No, they don't. They do not have really? – Basketball-specific okay. practice facility. I wonder if Maryland is one of those schools that has unrealistic expectations and that Kevin Willard is just going to become Mark Turgeon where he's going to recruit well and he's going to make the tournament, but he's not going to win a national title, and they're going to run him out of time, town in five years. If you gave me the over-under on, on, on Kevin Willard's tenure and Maryland at four – I'm taking the under. That's how that's how uninspired I am by this hire. Uh, he didn't inherit, doesn't ha- inherit much. He's going in there with a fan base already grumbling about him, uh, and he had never been a great recruiter. So I don't know what you suddenly going to become a great recruiter in Maryland. Uh, I, I don't. Can I make the case for Ke- Kevin Willard really quick in two minutes? Well, not in two minutes. How about twenty seconds? Fine. <laughs> Seton Hall was a dump when he took it over. He left it with a. He had, he won a Big East title at Seton Hall. An absolute dump. Maryland is a dump right now, but they won titles in spite of Mark Turgeon. I think Kevin Willard is 10 times in spite of him. Worst coach in the Big Ten by a mile. I can't believe he lasted as long as he did. Uh, Kevin Willard is 10 times the coach as Mark Turgeon is. He's going to get players because that's what Maryland does. Kids in Maryland dream of playing for Maryland, unlike kids in New Jersey dream about playing for Rutgers. He's going to get players. He's going to coach them up. He's going to win more Big Ten titles in five years than Mark Turgeon won in 10 or whatever. Uh, there's a there's an entire thread on the 247 boards for Maryland called Turgeoning. It's a real thing. Turgeon lost games he should have won. There will be Willarding, which is winning games you shouldn't. Willard will win Big Ten titles. Let's go to uh, the other topic we've got here. Uh, the Big Ten is vastly overrated. Yes. So, I mean, you're, you're nine teams in the tournament and you get two in the Sweet 16. I mean, come on. That's ridiculous. You can't tell me. And that's not the first year either that you can't tell me that, that, that this, the league is not a little overrated. I mean, Iowa loses. You, I mean, you, you, you lose Illinois again. They're, they, they do it every year. At a certain point where it's, it's more than just a – I mean, it's a thing. It's not just a one-year deal. 
you're absolutely right. The MAC has the same amount of teams in the Sweet 16 as the SEC. They are exactly equal conferences. St. Peter's would probably finish in the same spot as Kentucky, roughly. Uh, my point in that is that it's a single elimination tournament. It does not indicate the strength of a conference. The Big Ten is probably – they were overrated in the sense that they're not the best, te- best conference in the country. That's probably the Big 12, followed by the SEC. But the Big Ten is right up there. I mean, it's very, you know – they haven't won a title. I get it. Yeah. How many how many titles has the Big East won outside of Villanova in the past twenty years? And UConn, the A the AAC has won two national championships in the past ten years. That doesn't mean it's a great conference, right? Right, but that yeah, okay. I, I you, would you say this one. I can't take credit for it. Uh, Noah Trister, uh, AP in Baltimore, covers you know Terps. They they the Big Ten didn't have anyone seated higher than three. They. You know, as you said, based on seeds, Big Ten was expected to get, like, five teams to the round of 32. They got six. Based on seeds, they probably were supposed to get two to the Sweet 16. They got two. You know, Rutgers was an 11 seed. That's the thing. Like, the Big Ten is deep, and it's got quality teams, but they didn't have a great team. So, yeah, I think they're properly rated. You know, this is what's going to happen. These other leagues have teams that are, you know, it's a much more of a gap between the top and the middle. I think that's what happened. The Big Ten teams are built to beat up, beat other Big Ten teams, and then they get to this tournament. Right. right. Just, yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I you would just think once in a while they would have a breakthrough and get, and get, and get a couple of, have, have the kind of year where, oh, look at the Big Ten. They've got four Sweet 16 teams. It's just that seems like it never happens. Uh, all right. Good job on true or false, guys. That was fun. We got a little, we got a little frisky. Um, let's take some insider questions, shall we? Uh, thanks, everyone, for subscribing. Uh, as always, a lot of good questions about the future. A lot of people really concerned about the fu- future of the program. Uh, and here's one right away. <clears throat> let's talk Pykel. I'm a fan, but was this big contract extension 8, 10, 12 months too early? Almost seems similar to the Chris S. extension, which we all know what happened there. That seems a little harsh. <laughs> I will say this, Cratch. Uh, the difference is obviously he's got a track record. He's done it. If you were hiring Rutgers coach tomorrow, you would you would hire Steve Peichel, uh, and you would give him a big contract. You know, what do you overall think about the deal? I thought it was, you know, it it, it was a deal that they had to make at this point in time because they were getting to a point where potentially they were going to have a situation. I don't know if it would happen this year, but we were getting to the point where a couple things. One, we've talked about the podcast before, Georgetown, Providence, Notre Dame, schools that could pay Peichel what he's making at Rutgers or more, schools that would fit Peichel from a geographic, philosophical standpoint, all could have coaching changes. Providence had Cooley staying for now, but you didn't know what was going to happen when you started working on this contract. Ewing is only going to be at Georgetown for so much longer. Pike obviously has ties to the D.C. area from his time at George Washington. And then uh, Notre Dame, Mike Bray was very much in the mix at Maryland. Now he's probably safe because they've gone on a run. But, if you know, see, when Steve Peichel started talking about how his dad, you know, watched Notre Dame football and everything, you started to wonder, well, if Mike Bray had gotten the Maryland job and Notre Dame had come knocking, would Steve Peichel have left for them? You know, I, I think I'm forgetting another – oh, and UConn. You know, I think yeah. you have to – like look everything's good now but like the 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 honeymoon is already over in stores for danny hurley so i think that was a big thing too is that you had to get the thing on the books now because in a year or two if danny is gone 
you want to be protected. All right, another question about Pikel's coaching, Fonseca. I have very few gripes with Pikes, but his end-of-game offensive strategy has been suspect since he got here and has become way more exposed the last two years. Gio and Ron have hit some clutch shots, but the isolation strategy where we force a well-defended fadeaway isn't what to rely on. I mean, it's an interesting point, the fact that, you know, yeah, you had a player in Geo Baker who was uh, excellent at hitting that shot. Doesn't mean it's a high percentage shot for most players. Uh, do we not look hard, closely enough at his end game strategy? Are those types of shots different than the ones they take the other 39 minutes of the game? Like, are they running like this intricate offense? I'm not aware of. Yeah. Like, that's uh, just that's point. just what they do. They 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 ranked I think in the 96 percentile in shots at the rim and at, from three. Like, they take the like. They take the least amount of shots around the rim and threes, like NBA style offense. It's just who they are, right? Like, I understand the point, but also no one's ever complaining about that when the shots go down, right? I think people are just trying to find a reason to get upset that they lost, which is understandable. But I guess my point is like that's just the Rutgers offense under Pipo. That, that that is what it is. Maybe it'll change when they get different kind of players. Like you said, Geo was an exceptional mid-range jump jump shooter. I don't know, but I'm frankly surprised the premise of the question because I think it's you know. That's just the offense they run. Good point. All right. One more on, on Peichel's tenure. Is there an argument that the results, given the talent level, has been, dare I say, disappointing? In the vacuum, without the history of the 30-year drought, first for a loss and a round of 32 doesn't seem as great. Or am I just overrating the talent on this team? Uh, all right. So let's, let's first say that. And I, I agree with Fonseca's analysis the other day, a, a great story on the a post that the best team was the first one in this run and it didn't get a chance to play in the tournament. And we, so we will not know what that team might've done. Cratch though, if you look at these last two years, I don't know, is it, is it disappointing that a, you had to be in Dayton in the first place and you were on the bubble of the year? I mean, what, what do you think of that one? I think this year you just take what you can get after the way you started. I mean, yeah. in hindsight, yeah. you could go, this team really could have, this team could have been a three seed if they had not, you know, had all these losses in the non-conference. But you just take what you can get. Last year, it's kind of hard being, I think, I felt like last year was a more disappointing, you know, tournament notwithstanding because last year's team, there was a point where they seemed like really, really good. And they kind of faded and they got back into it at the end. But I think you're right. The best team was the 1920 team uh, that we never got to saw, see play in the tournament. And even then, the, you know, they were so bad on the road. That was kind of a knock against them against the, um, until the Purdue game. All right. Uh, diving deep into this roster. Odds Jaden Jones come back, i.e. doesn't pursue uh, the transfer or uh, get drafted, obviously. Uh, and do you have any insight into what happened behind the scenes with him? Fonseca, I, I mean, uh, it's just not the kind of thing you'd be poking around on because I don't think anyone, of, anyone really expected that, at least. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the, was it the concussion thing? Uh, cover? I mean, what, do you have any theories at all as to what happened with that kid? I think – he and the people around him are very confident at the kind of level of play that he is at. They like his size, the six foot eight. They think he has the, the, the ideal body and play style for the modern NBA. And he and the people around him believe that he's good enough right now to play at the pro level. I, I whether you agree with him or not is a different story. Uh, and you meaning not you, Steve, I mean, people in general, obviously, 
but that's how what they know. Need. How would we know? We haven't seen him play here at this level. I would possibly know if he could play at the next level. That is the counter argument. If he's not good enough to play at Rutgers, is he good enough to play in the next level? I just feel like he would have played. Just, I mean, I'm not like Pykele's not. He just, really, he would have found the kid wasn't good enough to play in the NBA. I, I don't know. He's, I get it. He loves Ron Harper. He, similar, but still, you would think you get him on the court. I mean, geez. I, I'm with you. If, if we're, let's say in a year's time, watching Jane Jones play with the Indiana Pacers, it would be the biggest maljudgment of talent in the history of basketball by the Rutgers coaching staff. I tend to think that that's not going to happen. I mean, I, again, we could be wrong. I think ultimately the people that made this decision believe very much so in Jane Jones' basketball acumen. I think the vast majority of people don't agree with them, but ultimately they're the only people that matter, and they made that decision. Uh, whether uh, the chances of him coming back to Rutgers, I won't put a percentage on it because those are numbers are just – I'd just be farting a number out, right? I'd say, I mean, uh, unlikely, possible, but unlikely. That's how I would probably uh, say. That's fair. All right, one more for you, Cratch. Andy from Glassboro would like to know if we have an update on the women's basketball coaching situation. As of now, I mean, it, it's still kind of status quo. You know, they Rutgers is operating on the assumption that Vivian Stringer is going to return as the head coach, and you know she's still on leave. Her, you know, her her you know approved university approved leave, and they're just kind of motoring along. You know, I mean, Tim Eatman you know, in press conferences towards the end of the season said, you know, she's coming back, you know, we're ready to roll. We're recruiting, we're signing new recruits. So we'll see what they do in the spring period. But as of now, it's, you know, more of the same. All right, everyone. Thanks for the questions. Uh, Great stuff overall, as always. Uh, What else we got wrestling? How was Detroit? It was not a good, uh, did not seem to be from afar, a good weekend for Rutgers wrestling. No, it wasn't a great weekend for them. I think going into it, you kind of felt it was going to be a boom or bust weekend. And I wouldn't say it completely busted, but it came pretty close. You know, obviously, Sebastian Rivera just did not seem healthy with his knee, which is understandable. I mean, the guy had had meniscus surgery a month earlier. So he gets upset in the quarterfinals. Credit to him, though. He wrestled a lot better after that. He wrestled back, took third place. You know, it's kind of disappointing that you didn't get to see him have one. It's just disappointing that he suffered this injury at such a critical time of the year. But two, you never got to see him have that rematch with Nick Lee. Uh, but things really kind of opened up for him. Uh, you know, Jaden Ironman from Iowa was upset the first night. It looked like it was going to be a cakewalk to the finals for Sebastian Rivera. But, you know, Cole Matthews from Pittsburgh wrestled him really tough in the quarters, you know, upset him. Greg Bolzak finished his career as an All-American. Uh, that's a, that was a big moment for Rutgers because Bolzak is a guy who was a four-time national qualifier at Clarion, never got to the podium, comes to Rutgers, one shot. They developed him. They got him over the hump, got him to be an All-American. But otherwise, you know, look, I think Rutgers had some good moments, you know, disappointing for Mike Van Brill to not get to the podium in his career. I thought Shaver Oliveri showed some fight, you know, Connor O'Neill, a guy who was not supposed to be there kind of lucked into a bid, gets a pin in his, in his preliminary round bout. So that was a good moment for them. You know, and I thought John Poznanski, obviously disappointing end of the year, but he sort of seemed to break out of his funk a little bit there. He wrestled well, he was more competitive. So they've got something to go into the off season to build on. So not a great weekend for the Scarlet Knights by any stretch, but also not a complete disaster because you still have two all Americans and the Bolzak, I think is a, is a, a big selling point as they go. I think they're going to try to hit the portal hard this off season and they can point to those guys at those lower level conferences and say, look, we brought a guy in. We got him better. We got him on the podium. 
Excellent, excellent recap. Uh, what else do we have to look forward to? I mean, that's the kind of when the when basketball is over, it's kind of you're like, okay, now what? You know, it's it's and then now what? I will say the now what was coming in, you know, <laughs> December for a lot of years here. But I mean, you know, it's just kind of this just got a long, a lot of months before football. Spring football practice is going on. We got a scrimmage coming up. We got the spring white game. I guess that's gonna have to get us through April. Baseball's good. Baseball's good. That's Women's right. lacrosse is on a tear. Men's Where are they lacrosse, ranked now? Uh, I have the, I, I think the new rankings come out maybe okay. Tuesday. They come out midweek. Okay. Uh, men's lacrosse, obviously, they lost to Princeton, but they rebounded. So yep, they're going to their conference play now. They should be good. So yeah, softballs won a bunch of games, you know, to start the year. So uh, the spring sports are doing well for Rutgers. So they got that going on. Maybe there'll be some postseason pushes uh, as the year progresses. Excellent. All right, Fonseca, any final thoughts? You, now, now basketball season's over. What do you got? What do you get? Send us off here today. Basketball season's still going on, Steve. The Peacocks, baby. The Peacocks, yes. We'll be in Philadelphia. If you would have told me that, yeah, you're going to be traveling for the regionals uh, and it's going to be with St. Peter's, I would have been skeptical, but that'll be fun. I, yeah, I mean, it's a great story. I think it's one of the best. I think it's one of the best. We can argue this one, too. If not the best Cinderella based on what that campus is and who they beat in the first round. I, I don't judge Cinderella can't be an NC State kind of level program. It's got to be like an off the radar, radar small school with low resources. It checks all those boxes. Uh, it'll be fun to watch. Uh, and I'm sure many Rutgers fans have got no problem hopping on that bandwagon and watching it. So uh, it will be, be back. Purdue is, yeah. Purdue is perennial uh, underachievers in the tournament. They haven't won one since uh, 32. So uh, this will be a good storyline and their defense. Very sus. Uh, I don't know. I, again, true or false, I said that St. Peter's isn't going to win. I would be just as surprised if they did win. But, I mean, why, I mean, who knows? We'll see. One shining moment. All right. Everyone, thanks for listening. We'll be back uh, next week to, to talk some more. And until then, uh, have a good time. Thank you for listening to the Rutgers Rant. To participate in the conversation and receive live updates about the Scarlet Knights directly to your phone, sign up at nj.com slash insider.